Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specializes in training women with fertility problems. I myself suffer with PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, lighthearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. In this week's show, we are diving into why, when it comes to your trying to conceive journey and also your weight loss journey, consistency is key. And for our regular listeners, you will know that this is my favorite phrase. It's your tagline. Maria, when you walk into a room, do you go, hi, I'm Maria from the Fitness Fertility Podcast. Consistency is key. That's it. And then I leave because my work there is done. That is all you need to know. And there's this baby spread all over the world. To be fair, we do have clients in Australia. Hooray! Hello, everybody. California, the kind of northern hemisphere. Got some listeners in China. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. So consistency is key. And this is a regular mantra of yours. Why is it so important in the fertility space? The bottom line here is, unfortunately for a lot of people, the fertility journey is probably going to be longer than you would like it to be. So if you are not what I would call a kind of regular ovulator, as me and my sister used to say, a kind of normal ovulator and, you know, you ovulate every month and then the sperm and the egg meet together. If you do have fertility issues, whether it's PCOS, endometriosis, maybe you've got an explained fertility, maybe you've got fibroids, maybe you've got an underactive thyroid, chances are this is going to take you a while. So again, when I was doing a deep dive for the show, we all know I like my data. So I was having a little look at all the information from HEFA, which is the Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority. And they are the kind of go-to for everything relating to assisted reproductive technologies like IVF. Data from 2018. This is really interesting. They said about 54,000 patients had 68,724 fresh and frozen IVF cycles and there were 5,651 donor insemination cycles at HEFA licensed fertility clinics. So that's amazing and I'm sharing it because I do want our listeners to understand and to feel like you are not alone because I know a lot of people going through this feel like no one else in the world is going through it but I promise you there are literally tens of thousands of other people going through this. What is the difference between a fresh and a frozen egg? When it comes to IVF, you can freeze your eggs and you can have fresh eggs or embryos as well. So the embryo is the fertilized cells. So the sperm and the egg have met and they've done their happy dance and, you know, everyone's loving life. But you can actually have frozen embryos as well. So this would be where, let's say you did egg retrieval and let's say you're lucky enough to get a few eggs. You then inseminate, if you like, all of those eggs. And let's say you're lucky enough to then have two or three fertilized eggs. They become your embryos. Now, in this day and age, they don't tend to do multiple transfers you know you used to hear stories of people having you know four embryos put in at once and just hoping for the best but in this day and age they tend not to do that as much so what can happen is you can actually freeze those embryos and then should you choose to try with those embryos at a later date that would be the frozen embryo transfer and a fresh embryo would be where you don't freeze them okay and there there are pros and cons to each We've kind of touched on this a little bit before. Um, It's a really interesting topic because it could be that you have frozen embryos in the freezer waiting. 
Just so not your own a, freezer in a special... Just not, not your own freezer next to the milk. A special, special freezer. And it's a really interesting ethical and just emotional conundrum because they're fertilised and they're there. It doesn't mean that when you implant them, they will turn into a pregnancy and then a live birth. But it's like the potential is there. The potential baby. And I say potential and I say baby and they're both very emotive words, but I know a lot of people that is how they see it. Mm. And I know that that's why it's very difficult for a lot of people. A lot of people will choose not to implant them because they might not want any more children. And that's Mm. absolutely fine. You, You know, going through fertility doesn't mean that you want, you know, a million children. You might still want one child and that's absolutely fine. It's a really interesting situation to be in and very, very difficult for people I know. And certainly more common than I think a lot of people would think when you're thinking about 54,000 patients. You are not alone. There are a huge number of people going through this. It's just that a lot of people still don't talk about it. And then the reason we're talking about this in today's podcast episode, which is all about consistency, is because in 2018, on average, about one in every four embryos transferred resulted in a live birth. And they use the phrase live birth because they don't mean just pregnancy. Um, unfortunately, but that's why we use the term live birth. And so what that means is, in reality, many patients will have more than one round of going through this embryo transfer uh, phase or stage. And what Heffa say is the average patient has three rounds. Now, obviously, we would be delighted if you had one round and boom, your child is born, happy days. For a lot of people, unfortunately, it isn't um, on the first round. So this is why the consistency element is really important and it's why we're talking about it today. Is there any a time lag between the cycles before you can try again? That very much depends on so many different factors. There's the kind of emotional aspect of trying. You might not want to try again straight away. So if you've had, some people would refer to as kind of a failed transfer, which is a word I don't, I don't like using, but a lot of people would refer to that. That means you don't get pregnant. That might be so difficult for you that you don't actually want to try again for a long time. So in that case, it would be the emotional side of it. The the biological side of it, again, it depends on the clinic and it depends on who you are as a person. It depends on if you've got endo. It depends on if you've got PCOS. I can't give a, a straightforward answer to that one because there's loads of different variables involved. Some people want to try again really quickly. Yeah. But also the reality with IVF is it takes such a huge toll on your body. Yeah. You know, you're injecting drugs. You are pumping those ovaries up. That's what I was kind of thinking that even though you might want to get you know back on the horse quite quickly you mightn't be able to and it could be for so many different reasons it could be just you know your local authority is only allowing you to have x amount of cycle so you might want to just rest up and make sure you're in a really good space for your second try but also you have to keep everything else constant don't you in that time yeah quite a few people who have booked in with me for consultations we've talked about this again before but we just say look can you just tell me your story and lots of people will tell me the story and quite often the people coming to me are people who have actually had one or two rounds of IVF already so I've got quite a few clients who who are due to have another cycle of IVF in a few months time so they've done a couple of cycles for whatever reason they haven't worked this might be the last cycle so it's the third one And they just say to me, I want to throw absolutely everything at this. I want to get in good physical shape. I want to get in really good health. So let's do the fitness side of things as well. They're not training to be Olympians. They're not training to be athletes, but they're like, right, let's just put everything I can into this before they then do, let's say, their next IVF cycle. Because again, like you said, the whole local authority thing is ridiculous and that could be a whole show in itself. But the fact that you get different tries at IVF, depending on where you live, is just insane. And there's a lot of people working, working on that as we speak, really. What a way to make a stressful situation even more stressful. Some people don't actually have to go through 
the full IVF experience. I remember a certain little lady on her Clomid. That could have been me. You're absolutely right. Not everybody goes through IVF. Some people, like myself, are prescribed the medication, which is basically, it looks like pills in pill form. The two main types of medication that are prescribed are Clomid, which is um, clomiphene, and also letrozole. I myself did take Clomid and we were really lucky in that Clomid did cause me to ovulate because basically I just wasn't ovulating. So Clomid causes you to ovulate. Interestingly, some bodybuilders, this is an aside, also take Clomid. Male bodybuilders, by the way, but we'll come back to that. Clomid will cause you to release your eggs. Hopefully if it's working, you can have different um, strengths, obviously, of the medication and what they will do is they will give you your first prescription at the lowest dose and then if that doesn't work they will up your dose and if that doesn't work they'll probably up your dose again like you would do with any meds. About 80% of women who are not ovulating or who are only ovulating occasionally, they're not terrible odds, they're not a guarantee. It just depends on, on who you are and where you're at. Is there anything you can do to support your body during that time? Again, this is going to sound really obvious, but a lot of the research says that if you are within a healthy BMI range, that has been shown to have better outcomes with fertility treatment and also pregnancy. Again, if you can be just as fit and as healthy as possible, if you're eating well, it's not going to guarantee you a baby, but you are doing everything to get your body into the best possible shape. And there is research out there to support it. When I was going through it, I did clean eating at the time, um, which now has gone, you know, the phrase has gone a little bit out of trend because it also implies this dirty eating which doesn't have good psychological connotations. I did cut out a lot of the sugar, I was exercising regularly, I felt a lot better in myself, my BMI was a little bit lower, it's still in the healthy range but a little bit lower. We were lucky in that all of the times I've used Clomid I have got pregnant so for me you know it did work, it worked very well for me and I am a slightly older mum as well. Luckily I got into that 80% and then I was within that 33% that did become pregnant. I know this is anecdotal but the girl who does my nails (laughs) we were talking about it. She has PCOS and she said now she's not in the market she's had her children she used Clomid. What she did say was because she is PCOS she is insulin resistant she comes off her Weight Watchers puts on a little bit of weight and she says her cycle comes out of line every time. That's bonkers, isn't it? It must just be that she's quite close to the edge of where her hormones like to be. A lot of it's to do with your fat tissue. Your fat tissue isn't just a blob sitting there. It's a live active tissue. It actually interferes with your hormones. It isn't just like a sponge sitting there doing nothing. A lot of the time and a lot of the research is showing the level of fat tissue that you have can interfere with your hormonal regulation. This is not to say, by the way, that anyone that has a higher BMI will never get pregnant. We're absolutely not saying that. Of course, people with higher BMIs do get pregnant. I'm just going with research and a lot of research suggests if your BMI is within that healthy range then it will just help you. Why do male bodybuilders want to use Clomid? (laughs) Yeah it's to do with interfering with their testosterone system and it's to do with helping them to grow muscle. It's a really interesting one because a lot of people would consider it to be doping because you are taking meds to help with your performance. If Clomid doesn't work do you go on to Electrosol or is Electrosol completely different? Some women, and actually one of my clients was going through this process, some women will start on Clomid and then switch to Letrozole. They don't get pregnant on the Clomid. Clomid can have a number of different side effects that people don't like. Uh, There is the Clomid rage, which, you know, a number of people have talked about before. And to be honest, I mean, the anger is just unreal. It's not for everybody, not to freak anybody out. But I am quite a chilled person and I definitely had raging hot flushes. You know, you are interfering with your hormonal system, so it can do all of these things. So to answer your question, some people will use both. 
it depends on your doctor. Some doctors will go straight to the letrozole. And I've got some research here again that just kind of compares both drugs because there is a lot of research out there that does support the use of letrozole now. The way the drugs work is slightly different, but the outcome is the same. The outcome is to get you to ovulate. The 374 women who received letrozole, 103 of those eventually had a live birth. They had 376 women who received Clomid and 72 experienced a live birth. So in percentage, those on letrozole, 27.5% had a live birth, and those on Clomid, 19.1% had a live birth. Right. And I think partly it just depends on your doctor and, and why you're taking it in the first place. Both work, though. Both are good. But may take time. Absolutely. And this, again, is why the consistency is key, because even if it works on the first cycle, that's all well and good. That makes you what I would then call a normal ovulator. You're now in the same position as everybody else who just ovulates regularly. You know, you're like, OK, my ovaries are working, I'm ovulating regularly. So now I've got to get the sperm and the egg to actually meet each other. The way I picture it is before you take the meds, it's like you're in the minus. You take the meds and you ovulate and then it's like you're at zero and you're trying to get to one with the pregnancy. That's just how I kind of visualise it. So it gets you to the baseline. People that are trying for babies try over the course of months. Some people are really lucky and, you know, straight out the gate, but usually it takes a couple of tries. It can take up to a year. Like, it, yeah. seriously, it's for anyone listening, if you're six months in, that is still completely normal. I've got some doctor friends and one of them said a sperm trying to meet an egg is like someone running a marathon with a blindfold on and just hoping to get to the end of the race. Even if you're six months in, seven months in, I know how annoying it is, believe me, and I know how frustrating it is. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong. It is just that the two have got to find each other. And there's research now as well that says that the egg can let in some sperm and not let in some other sperm. And that's super interesting. It's like the sperm comes up and it's like, hey, how you doing? And the egg kind of goes, no, don't like you. No, sorry. You're not coming in. That sperm doesn't get in. There's some sperm that you don't want. There's some eggs that are produced that are not perfect. It's happening for a reason. This is evolution. My psychology head on. This is pure evolution. That okay. egg that we produce is worth so much more than that sperm. No disrespect. But we are we are limited. We have a finite supply of eggs. That is a limited resource and mm -hmm. it is quite possibly the most precious resource that anyone could want. So you have got an incredibly limited, incredibly precious resource. It takes the body a huge amount of energy to make that egg. It's much, much bigger than the sperm. So that egg is going, listen, I've worked hard to be where I am. You're not good enough. You're not coming in. And this is what sperm competition is and sexual selection is. And it's a survival mechanism because if I'm going to use that energy and if I'm going to grow that baby for nine months and then look after that baby with the risk that you might leave me, it needs to be a good sperm. We're going to get my friend um, and colleague Kieran on. He is the person that I'm working with to do a couples programme. He specialises in personal training for men going through fertility because he had his own fertility journey. We'll get him on and he can talk a lot about this, but yeah, absolutely. It can definitely be male factor. It might have nothing to do with the woman. There are definitely tests you can do to check out the male sperm and there are lifestyle factors that men can work on to improve the quality of their sperm as well. There's a lot of different things with sperm there's uh, motility morphology and mobility your sperm might have three tails which is pointless because it's not going to go anywhere it might just swim around in circles you know it might have two heads you need the sperm can come in many different shapes and sizes yes there are definitely things that your partner can be doing if you have a male partner to be working on the sperm and when we get kieran on he will talk to us a lot more about that he talks about testosterone and he was talking about lifting he was telling me the other day actually it's not load 
per se it's volume and he can tell us a lot more about that but yes it's definitely not always the women and men should definitely get checked as well and there's a lot of companies out there doing that as well i know you mentioned the covid rage it must be very difficult for someone who hasn't gone through a normal ovulatory pattern to suddenly be confronted with pms once a month Speaking from experience, it was an absolute shocker to have that, <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, to have that kind of influx of hormones. It felt like I was jump-starting my ovaries, if that makes sense. Like, they'd been, you know, we'd been trying, they'd been sitting there, but they weren't really doing much. And then all of a sudden, it was like, yes, we're working. It was like they were kind of being, you know, cranked up a little bit. And you're not used to it, you don't have the tactics, you don't know what this is, and all of a sudden you feel completely mad, and you're yelling at people, and then you're crying, and then you're emotional, and... Yeah, it can be really difficult. And like you say, you've never had it before. It's really important that you have a partner. If you have a partner, some people do this without a partner. But if you have a partner, it's really important if you can communicate with that partner. Because you just have to say, listen, settle in. Because, you know, I need a little bit of grace here. I may not be in control of myself. So please just settle in and it will pass. Yeah. It's worth it in the end, but it, it can be tough. Yeah. Good this idea of consistency where it really is the way to get through this process in so many ways. I would honestly recommend people write it down, either use one of the cycle tracking apps or just write it down, paper and pen. Once you realise, oh, I'm just ovulating. Like, I I am not a red mist type of person, but there were some red mists. Like, it, it was, it was awful. But then you also don't want to give women a bad name because it's not a sexist thing. It's just the reality of if you're going to pump me full of hormones, I'm going to respond in this way. That is why many people have heard about the guys that juice on steroids and the steroid rage. This is not exclusive to women. You put enough hormones in either sex, uh, we're going to go slightly nuts. So Maria, I'm sure you've had clients that have started with Clomid and have worked their way all the way through Mm. to IVF and had multiple rounds of IVF. How do you keep people motivated? How do you keep people consistent during that process? It could be years. My honest answer, first and foremost, is make sure that you do have a trainer that understands what you are going through. And to be honest, if that is the case, everything else should follow. And that is my hand on heart answer, because... If you have a trainer that understands what Clomid does to you, what Letrozole might do to you, how devastating it is when you don't get pregnant each month, how stressful the fertility appointments are, how big a step it can be to try IVF, they will then work around all of the practical things that need to happen to keep you training. So what I mean by that is they will provide you with a program for example that is rolling or can be extended because we just don't know how long this journey is going to be and it's really difficult because you need to be in good physical condition for the duration and that's really tough and this is why again consistency is key because you know you might be in this for three months but you could be in this for five years it is really difficult so you must have a trainer that understands what you're going through so they can make the alterations as required and also just provide you with that kind of emotional support like for me being a PT it's much more holistic I don't just give you a gym program and then you leave following up with you I'm asking you how you're doing I'm asking you how the Clomid rage is I'm asking you how your stims have gone I'm just checking in and asking how you're feeling today because fertility is so tough and there's a lot of mental health that goes alongside it. Practically speaking, you need to have some kind of rolling program, so a structured program to follow because you can work out, get fit and work on your fertility at the same time. 
and that is what I'm all about. If you're going to be on this journey for a few months or a few years, we want you being nice and fit and healthy because not only is it good for the fertility treatment, it's also great for pregnancy. Having a strong core is fantastic for pregnancy and also, you know, labour and delivery because that baby's got to come out. <laughs> you know, whether it's a C-section or a vaginal birth, you're going to want a strong core. So and you're you definitely to... going to want it for the postpartum part of things as you well. You are. Yeah, because the fitter you, you are, the good. quicker you yep. feel well in your own body. I know that from you do. personal experience. Yeah, absolutely. So you need a program. You need someone that understands what you're doing. But you also want a decent fitness program, one that progresses you no matter how long you're in there for, because you also want to be getting fitter and looking good and feeling good while you're on this journey. IVF can do a lot to people. And so many of my clients say they've gone through IVF, they're going through IVF, they've put on a load of weight, the injections are bloating them. Sure. It can be really tough. But really, the fundamental point is have a trainer that actually understands what you're going through and is willing to support you as holistically as they can. The ladies that you're dealing with, often, obviously, childbearing age, so therefore they're in just that sweet spot in their career as well, is this idea of time. Mm. And none of us feel like we have enough of it. How do you make sure you fit in those three workouts a week? Yeah, exactly. So building the space and the time into your week and being mindful like consciously aware that that space is for you it doesn't happen by accident you don't suddenly say oh i'm oh, i'm free uh yeah okay fine i'll go to the gym it's not that it's i have to finish work by five because i have to be in the gym by quarter past five today yeah and that's that's how you have to do it you have to prioritize it i know we talked about meal prep and how important it is it is time saving it doesn't feel like that the first couple of times you do it because you're trying to get your recipes down and what you like. And then you get rid of decision fatigue, which is 90% of the thing that will wear you down. Building in that consistency with your exercise and your food and trying to bring in some kind of level of relaxation will absolutely stand to you because it's a long process. In the UK, we do have the NHS and it's, it's fantastic, but it's definitely not perfect when it comes to this postcode lottery thing. But for some people, depending on where you live, you won't have to pay for IVF here. But in some countries, you will always have to pay for IVF. And I, I do follow a lot of women who are in the States. And I know we do have listeners in the States. And um, I've got a lovely client in California at the minute, actually. But I know it costs tens of thousands of dollars. And there is no guarantee of a baby. We've said this before. That is literally just for the treatment with a clinic. The price of this does link into the time. And this is why a lot of people would say, listen, I'd rather spend my money on a PT because it's never going to cost me as much as a round of IVF. I would rather get in the best possible shape to make that round as effective as possible because yeah, no matter how long you're with a PT, it's not, it's just not going to cost the same amount of money. And a lot of people, that is a very conscious decision that they make. They're like, right, we might as well do this. Because compared to that total cost that it could be, it's pennies. So not only is it cheaper to get a PT and to meal prep, you'll save money on your groceries for sure, but it's also better for your body. What will we be discussing next week? We are going to be talking about sex. So we're going to talk about all the myths, the facts, the funny stories, but within that, actual helpful hints to help people who are trying to have a baby. So yeah, tune in next week. It should be a good one. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week and please rate and comment and really importantly share with your friends, especially our trying to conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. So we strongly recommend that you consult your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a worth a listen production.